you know, th- that's where my thoughts go. <laughs> you know, maybe Sergio, if he hears that, he's going to be like, no. Like, no, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hurdy Gurdy Cafe, an hour of interviews, music, and camaraderie. I'm Ryan, and I'll be your host along this crazy adventure through the land of the wheel fiddle. So strap in, and let's see what's cranking in the Hurdy Gurdy community today. Welcome back, everyone, to season two of the Hurdy Gurdy Cafe podcast. Uh, we're nearing the end of our season, and uh, once again, we have another very special, special guest, uh, Anna Murphy. Welcome, Anna. It's wonderful to have you. Hi. Thanks for having me. No problem. And as always, we have Sergio Gonzalez. Sergio, thank you for being here. Hello. Yes. And before we get started with our interview with Anna, we're going to uh, listen to a track um, that she recommended from Efren Lopez called Baidushka. So let's have a listen to that and then we'll return with Anna Murphy. Yes.
that was Badushka by Efren Lopez, a track re- recommended by Anna Murphy, who is our guest today. So once again, Anna, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I'm glad that you picked that track. Um, just a, a few episodes ago, I was trying to get Sergio to teach me how to do the, the trompet part to that track. <laughs> you were so, actually pretty good with it. Right? Well, I'd been working at it for a little while, so what you, you told me helped out a good bit. Um, but why did you choose that track, Anna? What, 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 what about that track speaks to you? I think it's awesome. I, I absolutely love it. Um, I'm actually learning it as well. So I was just going to say good luck with the trumpet part. <laughs> and it's a track that I've been listening to a lot. And then I actually started taking lessons with Efren uh, just about when the, the whole lockdown situation started. He, he um, started giving online lessons and I just thought I have to I have to do this. And that was the first track that we looked at together. Yeah, so you're learning it directly from the source. Yes. That's awesome. The friend is a great teacher. Since you're learning directly from the source, I'm kind of curious. Did he give you any tips on that trumpet part that I could, you know, (laughs) kind of dovetail in with what Sergio told me? (laughs) Um, Actually, we, for some reason, because we took quite a long break at some point, I think that was because of me, because I just didn't, I didn't have time to practice and you know how it goes. So we didn't actually get that far and now we're doing one of his other tracks. But I think at some point we're going to come back and, and do it in full. Uh-huh. Are you learning another track from this EAR progressive group that he's doing or is it a different one um it's actually a different one i haven't heard an actual recording of it so i don't know if it's a traditional or if it's if it's one of his songs but the way that we work and that's what i absolutely love about um the lessons with him is because i'm not a theoretical musician i don't work with theory or sheet music or anything and so he just you know plays me the parts and i try to figure it out and that's um how it goes So you uh, are famous for being a member of Elvite and now Seller Darling. Uh, Are there any other bands in particular that that you've you've participated in that you'd like us to know about? Well, I do have one album that I released as just under my name Uh as a solo artist, and I've always had like just my my weird side projects. you know, there's Lethe, there's Fragmund, which is a, f- a Swiss folk band. Right. There's a Nucleus Torn. Uh, I can't really keep track of them because as soon as an opportunity pops up, I'm just going to go with it. Um, yeah, and I'm starting some new stuff as well. Uh, yeah, it's right. kind of chaotic. And I, I know that it's, you've probably told this story a lot, and many people probably already know, but for those who don't, um, how did you first um, get involved with the Hurdy Gurdy? How did that come about? I must have been about 15 or 16, um, and I was at a folk festival with my mother. Oh, um, nice. We, we saw Faun play. And I just immediately fell in love with the instrument. And I said to my mother that I want it now. Um, and at the time, you can imagine that was over 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hurdy Gurdy wasn't as popular as it is today, if you can call it popular. I'm not sure about that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I didn't know where to get one, how to take lessons. 
Um, so we did some research and there is the Schola Cantorum in Basel, which mm-hmm. is a high school for old, like for Baroque music. And I actually started out just renting one. Um, that's fantastic. I took, yeah, I took a couple of lessons and, and that's how it happened. And then two two or three months later, I already joined Elveti. <laughs> two, months, <laughs> two months later. Wow, that's yeah. fantastic also. <laughs> it, it was absolutely crazy. I had just been playing. Um, I could hardly play the thing. And I basically learned it by learning LVT songs but that's a good boost for your for your learning a lot of pressure and ah, yeah, I need to yeah. I need to practice eh? back then uh, who was the the, the Gurdi player uh, from from Faun it was Elizabeth it was uh, oh from Faun yes um, I have to be honest I wasn't like I didn't follow the band to that extent that I would mm-hmm. know the names of the members but I mean, I remember this woman and her presence. It was incredible because, you know, at the time I was like this, you know, 15, 16 year old. Uh, I mean, I dressed like a like a boy that's going on a hike with his dad. (laughs) (laughs) For me, like her presence was just incredible. She had these long dreadlocks and she was the most elegant being that I had ever seen on a stage. Um, and now, but now that you say Elizabeth, I think maybe that yes. was the name. Yes. We have to, to get her on the podcast, Ryan, someday. Yeah. Yeah. Did we, we talked about that before, didn't we? I, I, I think, I think her name came up. I think so. Yes, 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 yes. You have to do it. Yeah. Elizabeth, come, come. <laughs> <laughs> Did you play any instruments before the hurdy-gurdy? Yes, I played um, flute, maybe order in school. Okay, oh, recorder, I think yeah. everybody did that at some point. Yes, um, right. <laughs> yeah, um, I played the piano. I played the traverse flute. Huh. Um, that was about it. I think I took one guitar lesson and thought, nope, it was not. <laughs> yeah, and that was about it. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you were when you got into playing with uh, Elvite, was it was it natural for you? Did you find you had to, to work at it or, or how how did that process happen for you after you were invited to do it? It's all to be honest, like a huge blur. I was I was so so young and I just acted with my gut instinct. I left school to, to go on tour with the band um, the Swiss school system is very I would say strange because um, I actually asked them if if I could go on tour for two weeks but still stay at school so that I can you know finish and get my diploma but that wasn't an option so I okay. asked my parents if I could just leave school to become a rock star and they said yes <laughs> yeah. and that was that like I from, from that moment on it's all really just a blur I I remembered I was scared I still am and um, but somehow it just worked uh-huh. I don't know why <laughs> what, what are you afraid of uh, I'm just I, I don't think my personality is is made to to go on a stage or no let's not put it that way it's not made to to enjoy it in a sense oh. of you know 
feeling great about myself but Mm. you know then again you don't necessarily have to because I've I've come to find that it it really works the way I do it as well Mm -hmm. Um, even if you share uh, your certain amount of insecurity with the audience it can actually have a very uh, positive effect Mm-hmm. Um, of course, so, I know, suppose I, they are supportive, eh? the audience. A- absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've, I've never felt like this typical rock star. Uh, <laughs> I like kind of being in the background. Um, yeah, but for, for some reason it worked. Well, when, you, when, you, when you're up on the stage, though, I'm kind of curious. Like, is there a point that, um, that you feel comfortable just kind of letting that music happen i mean you know the, the atmosphere the volume the the, the tunes the, the whole energy of it or are you always aware of the fact that um you don't quite feel comfortable i'm just curious what the experience is like um once you get I've, once you get comfortable i've had both uh-huh. most nice. most of the time it goes away and then you can just enjoy it Mm-hmm. There are the rare moments of just being in pure panic for 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily, those are uh, fewer. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. So did it take, um, did it, you know, you, you mentioned that when you, you first uh, saw Elvite, I believe, that you said that you were um, dressed like a boy getting ready to go on a hike with his dad. <laughs> so did you have to make a, a hard shift away from that for the, the stage persona or uh, did that also happen naturally? I think it happened naturally. I mean, at the time when when I joined LV80, they weren't uh, like a huge band yet. Mm-hmm. I think the first show that I played with them was some kind of like a um, some city festival mm-hmm. there weren't even like metal people in the audience oh. like yeah just random people thinking what the hell is this what, what, what the, this guy's doing yeah. <laughs> I came and to I, see folk or what <laughs> and, and it and it had like this really um, you know we, we weren't yet trying to to have an image or it didn't feel as important yet um I, I think we just put dirt on our face and okay. dressed more or less just black and and I really like this this beginning of you know not having the huge fancy stage set up yet and just you know taking it step by step right so the so the approach really in the beginning was just uh, I guess what have fun and, and play this kind of music and if people like it they like it and if they don't they don't but somehow it turned into this massive experience yeah absolutely yeah well what what um, I'm kind of curious uh, I've been thinking about these these questions a little bit and I, I have two uh, sort of one on each side of the coin here um, what was or what what had been your most memorable experience, say, with with Elvite, is there any performance or any situation that just stands out to you that um, you really enjoyed or appreciated or found fascinating? Uh, I think, yeah, that was when we played in India for the first time. In India, come on! Yeah, um, nice. I think it was in. I'm not sure where it was. It was like, close to Mumbai or something. And mm-hmm. we obviously had no idea what to expect. Um, and it was on some like school 
campus or something and it just turned out that there were like thousands and thousands of people wow <laughs> it was it was insane because we we didn't know you know where are these people coming from <laughs> where have you been and and in general it was just an amazing experience the the, the people are so they were so welcoming um the food i mean do we have to talk about the food? <laughs> oh you have to like it spicy otherwise yeah. mm. <laughs> for, for breakfast and everything i, I love it. how long were you in india for that was it just one show or were you were you playing multiple um shows just the the one show but we stayed there for a couple of days just to mm -hmm. have the experience mm -hmm. are there any recordings of it available like video or can we find any of that do you know i'm actually not sure yeah <laughs> look it up. <laughs> yeah, look it up. Uh, well, while he's looking it up, the other side, the other side of the coin, the question, because um, I always like to know what uh, what it's really like, you know, being a musician and, and and having those kinds of tour experiences. Was there anything that that was just the most horrific experience you had <laughs> that you thought I, I, will, I will never do this again? <laughs> Life on tour, ooh, yeah. plenty of that. I have plenty of that, so I'm sure you have like a lot. I'm sure there are a few, to be honest. I mean, especially in the beginning, when we didn't have all the fancy in-ears and stuff like that. Uh, we played on monitors. I think ooh. I shared a monitor wedge with oh, no. Mary, the violin player. So, I mean, just imagine what that is. Yes, like, like playing by intuition, you know, like, okay, this shape is supposed to be like this, but I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah, so there were a few of these really just horrible... I, I don't think I could pick out one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, you know, I guess that's probably a, a common experience, but you got to just get through it and hope the audience doesn't notice. <laughs> yeah, and, but I mean, honestly, like for just for the psyche, it's it feels better to have a bad show with these circumstances because you just think, oh, this is rock and roll. This is okay. This yes, is just, how we do it. Do it I'm right? just going to hmm. drink beer while playing. Uh, I mean, that's better than if, you know, the, all the circumstances are great and you have your crew and you have your sound and it still doesn't go well, then you know, that bumps <laughs> you out even more. Right. Well, not not to, to divert away from this, but since Sergio mentioned, I'm kind of curious, what was the worst experience you had on, on tour or plane <laughs> sometime? Uh, I used to tour with this band, Coelebre, uh, for uh, three or four uh, years, and uh, all around uh, Germany and the Netherlands, north of Italy. And uh, I think the most... Uh, like the like the, the most like the painful situation was when our van uh, uh, died like uh, five or six times during a, a tour. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> it was like okay, we're in the middle of Belgium. We don't know where we are. It's August, so there are no there, there is no one to fix our, our van, <laughs> and it died. Yeah, it's uh, it's here, and we have to play a show in five hours. <laughs> so what to do <laughs> so so what you're saying is mechanics don't work in august in belgium for some reason mechanics don't work the first week of august in belgium i learned that the hard way <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> actually, I actually thought of a hurdy gurdy related one just now. Yeah. I think it was at some German festival, and this is really not. I think everybody's gonna cry about this. This some dude he threw he threw like a plastic cup full of beer. At no. my hurdy gurdy. No. Oh. no, no, no. Yeah, and it, and I actually think I like shy little Anna. I got up in front of that microphone and I actually told the guy that I'm gonna fight him. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. We want blood. If this happens, we need blood. I mean, yes. really, that's like the last thing that you do. Yeah. Why? Why would someone do that? <laughs> I mean, what's the? <laughs> That's crazy. I don't even know what the issue was because you never know. Sometimes they just throw stuff around because they're having a great time. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes okay. they hate you. You don't know. Oh no. Yeah. Wow. Was it the solid body, Hardy Gerdy? It was the Accento. Okay. Okay. Well, at least it was a solid body. At least yeah. it was not a, the Largo. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was the Largo. Oh no, no, no. Well. Well, speaking of that, um, you know, if you wouldn't mind, uh, you know, talking about the hurdy gurdies that that you play, you know, what what are what are the hurdy gurdies that you play? Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you mean like how many I own? Well, sure. Let's start there. <laughs> the thing is, I don't I don't play all of them because I I ran out some of them to students. Okay. Um, but it started with the Novello Classico from Helmut Gotchi. Helmut, yes. Um, amazing person too like I actually when he when he was building it I could stay at his house and um, and just really welcoming family so, so cool. uh, yeah it's that instrument is very dear to me still um, then I got an alto by Weichselbaumer mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and then it's the ones I play most are the Accento and the Largo by Hilsman, eh? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. And um, one of those is solid body electric and the other is an acoustic instrument. Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Um, and, you know, you've been playing a long time compared to some people, compared to me and, and some others. Um, how do you find it difficult in regards to the, um, uh, the maintenance of the hurdy-gurdy or have you just found that that's become more natural for you? I have to say I'm not a very I'm not a mechanical person. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come naturally to me. For me, you know, changing strings is as far as it goes. Mm. If okay. there's anything else, you know, I'm not the type of person who who's good with these types of things. So I'm very happy that I found um, actually a violin maker in Lucerne that is good with the hurdy-gurdy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also why I decided to now work with Sebastian Hilsman because he's so close mm-hmm. and he's always available if there's something going on. And at the moment, I'm having troubles with the Largo, like the, the bridge um, of the trumpets is becoming mm-hmm. loose. Mm-hmm. Oh. So now when I play, it's just an, a constant noise. Yeah. And, you know, there's people who have the talent of fixing these things themselves. And I just know if I'm going to touch that stuff, I'm just going to break it. So <laughs> I, I just want to, you know, let other people do that. But I have, of course, experimented with 
you know, liquid um, rosin and, and cotton, like I can obviously mm-hmm. do these mm-hmm. things fairly well. Like you have to if you want to play the hurdy gurdy. Right. So you just can't use some super glue to hold down that uh, <laughs> that bridge. <laughs> you know, th- that's where my thoughts go. Like, you know, maybe Sergio, if he hears that, he's gonna be like, "No, like, oh, what are you doing? Call Sebastian. No, no, don't do it." <laughs> well, what you would use hide glue? I don't know. There's got to be some kind of glue that you use to hold that stuff down. <laughs> but I do have to say. Uh, those of you who live on the other side of the ocean, you are so lucky to have people within driving distance that can help you work on things. I'm, 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 I'm terrified of, of when something really goes wrong with one of my hardy gurdies. I'm going to have to figure out how to fix it. But I'm, I'm like you. I'm not super mechanically inclined. <laughs> In a way, in a way, this is good because uh, you Americans are kind of forced to learn how to <laughs> how to figure it out. So yeah, th- that's true. That's true. Um, well, let's take a moment and listen to the second track um, that you had recommended, and this is by the group called Hurdy Gurdy, and the track is called Is it Tuck Johns? Did I pronounce that correctly? I have no idea. It's it, I think it's Swedish. So Tuck Johns. Johns. Okay. Okay, well, great. Yes, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one with difficulty pronouncing things. <laughs> so, well, let's let's have a listen, and then we'll come back and continue with our interview. All right, here we go.
Okay, welcome back. We're at season two of the Hurdy Gurdy Cafe podcast. We're here with Anna Murphy once again and Sergio Gonzalez. And uh, I'm curious, Sergio, have you heard this track before? Because this was the first time I've I've come across it. The no, Hurdy Gurdy talking on. It's very good. Yeah. What What made you choose this, Anna? What What, uh, what was the inspiration behind choosing this track? Um, it's It's one of my favorite albums to date. Um, I don't, I don't know how I discovered that band. It, it must have been around the time when I started playing. And it was exactly what I had been searching for because I'm not really... I, I do like traditional folk music, but, you know, it's not my favorite thing to listen to. Um, I've always been really ec- eclectic. Um, so as soon as I heard this, you know... Uh, hurdy-gurdy mixed with electronic sounds like this experimental thing it had been what i had been waiting for um not my whole life but for two months or or so um (laughs) and it it was basically it was what i wanted to do with the instrument Uh, it was my plan from the very first note i heard i thought oh i could do some crazy stuff with this and and you know not play medieval tunes with it mm-hmm. so um, yeah and it's one of the only CDs that I haven't thrown out <laughs> well, what do you mean why did you throw the other ones out <laughs> because I, I'm just getting rid of I'm decluttering yeah and okay. CDs just don't there's few CDs that have just a sentimental worth to me mm-hmm. but um, now I'm just focusing on my LP mm-hmm. collection and I'm trying I'm, I want to replace CDs with LPs, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and nice. Keeping that one. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as I've listened more and more to to your music, I'm kind of curious how you approach the uh, composition process or the or the, the writing process because very interesting. It is. I mean, it's. Uh, I I just love the way that. I, I just love the way that your, your tunes and your tracks come together because no matter what, there's always this kind of epic feel to it. So I'm curious, how do you approach the, the, the composition or writing process? It's, it's not really a, um, a fixed process or, or one that involves a lot of planning or, or structure or theory. Um, I work very uh, intuitively um, mm-hmm. I just have melodies in my heads and in my heads. <laughs> and then, you know, automatically I'm going to hear the chords and I just record whatever I come up with. Um, and, and then it just builds up from there. I think the, the epic aspect that you speak of might come from my upbringing as an opera child right mm. yeah i was always surrounded with classical music and i mean operas are so epic and you know if people in an opera if they love or if they hate or if they die they do it with a lot of intensity that's, that's super right yeah so i can think I've of always, many opera moments like that <laughs> exactly like if they die they're gonna die for four hours <laughs> yes, yes completely yeah. yes. so i i I think that just has kind of stuck with me. Um, as far as incorporating the hurdy-gurdy goes, I think I could do a better job, to be mm. honest. Okay. Um, you know, I've always... Well, wait a minute. If you could do a better job, why don't you do a better job? Because mm. it's... it's <laughs> I know, I know that the question is absolutely... It's, it's a good question. Um, 
the, the thing with the hurdy-gurdy is I've always, you know, incorporating it into a rock um, arrangement, I've always looked at it as a bit limiting because, you know, incorporating the drones and the trumpets yes. is hard because, you know, you have your chord changes. They're based on the very tonal. Changes, mm. You know, basically rock arrangements or yes. pop arrangements, let's be honest. Um, mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to keep a drone going, but I just never managed to because the, the idea that I had next would involve a, a chord progression of some mm-hmm. sort. Um, but now lately I've been trying to look at it from my instrument's point of view and my hurdy-gurdy is probably thinking, well, your compositions are very limiting for me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I really want to try and, and use it more and... I mean, basically now what I'm doing with Cellar Darling is I'm using it as a as a solo instrument, like mm-hmm. replacing a lead guitar in a sense, which is cool, but, you know, right. I think I could do some more. Well, yeah, with that track that we're going to listen to at the end, you know, I didn't even know... When I heard the guitar, when I heard the guitar solo, like I, I thought it was a guitar solo until I heard you doing the back and forth bowing. I thought, oh wait a minute, that, that's the hurdy gurdy there. Um, but you, you mentioned the opera. Both of your parents were, were opera singers. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Whoa. Yeah. Nice. That's that's pretty pretty amazing. So you were you were introduced to that world probably what since you were born I would imagine. But yeah, always. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and this is a question for, for both of you, for Anna and Sergio, because this has come up a few times. The idea of the drone against, say, chords in in rock music. Now, I've that's how I started playing, playing guitar in rock bands and these types of things. And I've never had the opportunity to play the hurdy-gurdy in that kind of setting. But I never thought of it. I mean, if you're playing in the same key, shouldn't the drone work? whether the chords are, are moving against it or, or not. Uh, I, there's something I'm, I'm not getting there. What, what's, what's, no, it doesn't work? Anna, you, you start, then Sergio can tell no, me about it. 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 it could work. Okay. But, you know, the if you would keep the same drone going, you would, you would instantly get a more monotonous mm. vibe. Okay. You know, it's like, you know, imagine a rock song with the bass guitar just playing the same note throughout the whole Over song. another. It I can see. Be, it can be really cool. I think even certain Tool songs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. work like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I was saying with the, with the, you know, it being limited, that is not necessarily true. It just really changes mm-hmm. the, the atmosphere of, of your songs. And... I just haven't, you know, put the pieces together of how I can stay in my crazy, epic painting a lot of different yes. colors thing right. and, you know, keeping the drone. But yeah. maybe yeah. I'll figure it out. What, what do you think, Sergio? Yes, it's interesting. It, it's, it's a tough matter because um, this is what I think we talked this with uh, Michalina eh, the, in season one. Uh, our our role eh, inside of, of the rock or, or the metal world is, is always like being the strange instrument. So we have to kind of uh, try to fit on, on what is already uh, there. And um, the, the, the bad thing, <laughs> air quotes, is that uh, the context is so tonal, as, as Anna says, like, 
all of the chord uh, changes, even uh, key modulations and, and everything, uh, this doesn't help. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be interesting um, to, as I, as, I, as I said with the, in, the, in the podcast with Michalina, to build the rock or the metal part around the Hardy Gardy from a more modal perspective. Right. But this is hard because a lot of, of uh, metal musicians, uh, what, what they have in their mind is tonal. It's basically changing chords, changing chords, changing chords. So to look at it from a modal perspective is it's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, okay. One, one thought I had, and I'm, I'm kind of curious what you both think about this. Um, so, uh, you know, some electroacoustic hurdy gurdies you can kind of turn on and turn, it's got a volume knob, say, for the, the, the drones. So I'm kind of curious if it would be possible to, you know, turn on and turn off the drones at certain parts uh, within the song, number one. But then the other thought that came to mind is I have this... Um, uh, I have this electroharmonics pedal that mimics um, an organ, and um, I wondered if if there were microphones or pickups on, say, the sympathetic strings, and if you could run that through this organ pedal, would the organ pedal come through and play these chords or or these uh, these notes based on how the sympathetic strings vibrated? Does this make sense? What I'm what I'm trying to say. I, I know what you mean. Yeah. I have thought about this actually as well. <laughs> okay. The problem here is that at least, I mean, I'm not a, a hurdy-gurdy maker, so Sergio can, you know, just tell me if I'm speaking nonsense. Um, but I've always experienced, you know, some amount of bleed. Mm. Yes. Like... You know, even if you if you have volumes for melody, trumpet, and drone, it all kind of still bleeds into each other, and and then if you have like a pedal just for the drones, and you can change the the tone, I think you're still gonna have some kind of mess going on. Yeah. Yes. 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 I think so. Is that accurate, uh, Sergio? From what you know, Sergio, or I think the same. Uh, even with uh, sometimes with electromagnetic uh, pickups, you still have some bleed. Uh, mm. So it's very hard. I know uh, some systems, like for example, um, Cesar Cesar Loreiro has this uh, Stampo bot with the pedals that uh, activate the capos. Yeah, I've seen that. So this could be an option, and I also know Andre Andre Vinogradov uses um, a Keith Macmillan uh, pedal. Uh, you know this pedal, right? Uh, I don't. Huh? Uh, it, it's like um, like the, the, the foot part of the organs, right. like a keyboard that you use with your, with your foot. And every note plays a, oh. a different chord. Mm-hmm. So this is another option that I've seen, uh, but I don't know. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm glad that someone else had thought of that too. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Sergio, I actually, I love. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go on, go on. It's yeah, your yeah. Podcast. Yes, it is. <laughs> no, um, no, I love the approach of you know building the band around the hurdy gurdy. This would be awesome. I, I always I, wanted to I, hear this. I yes. really like that concept. I think as long as you, you don't have the feeling that it limits you in some way, because that's the problem, right? You have an idea, oh, it could change into this, and then suddenly you're, you're stuck again. 
Mm-hmm. But I like that idea. I might use it. Definitely. Please do <laughs> use it. Use that idea. That would be wonderful. Because, you know, as Sergio said, I, I thought that same thing when I've heard, you know, the, the person that I've listened to, obviously that comes close to what I think I imagine it should sound like is, is a friend. Like, you know, in, in the track we, we yes. with this, the track we started with and, and um, even uh, even uh, um, Ruben Montero. Um, Ruben, yes. Some of the stuff he does, when I hear it, I think to myself, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking because the way the drums come in, the way that the tracks all roll together and, and with that track we heard in the very beginning, um, he shifts keys in there doesn't he uh because I, 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 I remember learning it and it seems like the first three parts is in one key and then it it goes to like what one flat and then two flats and it's something like that a little bit inaccurate but you are good uh, because it's a modal modal change modal change it's not a key a change. Oh, it's a okay. mode yeah. change uh, this is where we live in the modal uh, uh. world this is why you get this sense of variation because he's driving his composition not by a harmony but by melody and the change of the color comes by the change of the of the melody. Ah. So it's, it's this this is the the modal it actually this is all the modal concept. Okay. Well he, I mean that's that's a great example of it then. I mean that's that's totally, a very yes. very neat. Yeah. I, that's I, in minor then goes to Dorian then goes to um Mixolydian I think. It's fantastic. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> well, I, I've been doing all the talking and, and question asking most of the time, Sergio. So I'm, I'm giving it to you to, to shift some gears here. <laughs> what, what's, okay. what's on your mind with Anna? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I really like this podcast because we keep it uh, conversational. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, going to, I'm going to pull my, my, my card, <laughs> my, my question card. We have two uh, that, that we are asking uh, pretty often. And I'm curious, uh, do you have any other hobbies uh, apart of the hardy garden? Hobbies. Um, Hobbies. Like you raise chickens or something? (laughs) Collecting LPs. Yeah. Um, I I have actually, I have the the luck of of having my hobbies as jobs. Um, Uh, I'm a producer and a sound engineer. Um, I do that as a, for a living. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm incredibly lucky that I can do that. Um, so basically, I just fill my days with um, sound engineering, with producing, mixing. Uh, I I always want to learn new instruments. At the moment, I'm trying to play the Nukelharpa. Oh, fantastic! Oh, okay. Don't get don't get too excited. You really wouldn't want to hear it. <laughs> Maybe not yet, but not yet, we will. But it's, we will. It's, yeah, it, it really sounds horrible, <laughs> but uh, I think it's so beautiful. And just you know, trying to play one note, it's mm-hmm. it's already awesome. really soothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the I, bow, eh? Oof, I find it very hard with the bow. So difficult, and I underestimate it. Oh. Are you playing it as well? I, I build a nerdy harpa. <laughs> so I am, oh. I am trying to do yeah. my best, but I'm terrible with bows. No, no. Me too. I, I underestimated it so much because I thought, you know, with the violin, I thought, you know, the left hand is the shitty part. Um, so I thought, well, Nicola, I have keys, so I'm going to rock it. And <laughs> like, oh, no, this is really bad. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so there's that, and I love hiking, I love nature, I like uh, books, I like wine. <laughs> I drink a lot of wine. Wine is great, wine is always... Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Very good. Yeah, the nickel harpa is a beautiful instrument. I mean, it, all those all those sympathetic strings. Uh, the the violinist that that I play with, she got one, and oh. the second I heard her play it, it just filled up the room just with this. It was it was like it was plugged in, you know. So I can see how it's a definitely a soothing instrument. <clears throat> yeah, it's yes. wonderful. Well, what's your favorite wine? My favorite yeah. wine. Yeah. Ah, oh, wine. Uh, well, I love Bordeaux um, or Bordeaux blends from Italy. Um, <laughs> Spanish I, here, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting, getting protective, you know, like, <laughs> what about the Spanish wine? <laughs> oh. uh, but actually, yesterday I drank uh, a Spanish wine. It's called Go Goru. Um, it's, I think it's Tempranillo and... Ah, Tempranillo. So, some, so yeah. you, you like uh, red better than uh, than uh, white wine? I definitely like it better, but I if it's dry, I also like white wine. Um, I actually also like Cabernets from Napa Valley. Um, oh. But I'm trying to not, you know, drink too much stuff the, from overseas just to, you know, be sensible. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much good stuff that that grows like, yeah. right around me. So, right, right. Yeah. So, so, do you do a lot of mastering as well with your, uh, you know, with your your audio engineering work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You so, also do mastering. I thought you were uh, mostly uh, mixing. Oh, nice, nice, I, nice. Yeah, I actually. Mastering is magic, I, eh? I wow. Yeah. Um, it, it's really weird because I never wanted to do mastering. Because I, for some reason, I just thought it's just less interesting than mixing. Because okay. yeah, obviously, mixing is really creative, and mastering is really analytical. And you have less options, yeah. Um, but my my partner, who is also a um, producer and sound engineer, he just always told me that I would be really good at mastering and that I should kind of get into it. And and now I'm actually getting a lot of. Uh, jobs uh, for mastering and getting really good feedback so nice and it is very interesting it's, yeah. and it's something that I could do all day <laughs> well if one ever needed someone such as yourself to master something how far in advance does one need to ask with mastering it's not that much of a problem because you know if it's just one track it's you know half a day's work so mm-hmm. Um, and that I can always fit in somewhere. So it's not like, you know, mixing an album, you need, you know, sometimes Oof. one to two weeks. But right. um, yeah, why? why? I- <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I decided that uh, the, the bass player and the nickel harp that, that I play with, we're just going to just record some things and, and try to make an album based on the original stuff that we have written. And I thought it'd be one. Yeah, it's not. We're, 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 we're all amateurs of what we do, but I still think it'd be wonderful to have a professional m- master at well, you know. So, yeah, so that's why I'm, that's why I was asking. <laughs> now, I'm curious with this side of your um, of, of your life, the, the uh, producing and engineering. Do you also do tracking? Yes. Okay, and, and do you have any particular approach uh, when tracking Hardy Gardies? I'm very curious. 
Um, it it really depends on the genre, on, of course, the setting. You know, if if I'm tracking hurdy gurdy for a rock or a, or a metal, you know, a very dense arrangement, mm-hmm. I like to keep it simple. Mm-hmm. You know, one if there's a line signal, I love to record it and mix it together with the microphone signal. Um, and also, you know, the type of microphone and the distance really depends on the instrument. Uh, Hurdy gurdies come in so many shapes and sizes that there's no like universal truth to recording one. Um, I like to kind of angle it towards the towards the bridge so that I, mm-hmm. that I can get some key noise. Um, but you know, if it if it would be like a hurdy gurdy solo album, I might want to you know add some room signals to yeah exactly Mm. so it it really depends and so those of you who are listening uh sergio just made a big hand gesture oh yes (laughs) (laughs) and then and then uh, yeah and then and then anna said of course so (laughs) why why don't we uh why don't we expand upon that for the people who are listening so what did what were you saying with your hand sergio I was saying like big fat hardy gurdy sound, which yeah. is what we always want. Like those lows, those <laughs> that projection is what you want to capture. Because what I um, I, I see this, uh, I see a lot of albums with very thin hardy gurdy sounds. Yeah. So I, I always look for you know bottom end. This this uh, low end is, is always uh, magic when yeah. recording a hardy gurdy. Yes. One one other quick question around mastering. I have someone just was telling me that um, when it comes to mastering, that you sometimes often have to master it for a different like uh, different um, like whether it's going to be an MP3 or if it's going to be on vinyl or if it's going to be something else. Like you, you have to master it for different streaming aspects too. Is that true, or were they just talking out of their you know? That is true. Um... But there's also different opinions on that. Yes. Um, Like, usually, and I also do separate vinyl masters from streaming and CD masters. And it's getting more complicated because, especially since the streaming um, age, because what streaming services do is they are going to actually turn the track down, usually, Mm -hmm. so that everything is is the same volume so this i'm sure you've heard of the loudness war always which was was especially in the i think in the 90s um stuff was mastered really really loud in order that if something was like in a in a playlist or a mix cd or something or or you know that it that the the song that is a lower volume wouldn't seem less good than the song played before and this now doesn't really make sense anymore we, we don't need to, to master so loud anymore except to keep a certain uh, density <laughs> of, of the song um, so now the thing with vinyl is that if you if you make a song if you master it too loud uh, with too many bass frequencies too many high frequencies the the needle won't um, uh, won't take that well, so th- that is the reason for separate LP masters. But then again, there's mastering engineers and really good ones that are going to tell you that if the the cutter of the vinyl is good enough, they can handle that. Hmm. So 
as you see, it's it's a very complex topic, yes. and it really also depends on who is making the actual uh, vinyl, mm-hmm. who's cutting it. So interesting. Huh. I like okay. to make separate ones just to be on the safe side because I'm Swiss and, you know, <laughs> we, we play things safe. <laughs> okay. Uh, quiet, quiet Ryan, masters. <laughs> don't, don't tell the guy uh, that mix your album anything yeah. about MP3. <laughs> No okay. For MP3. Oh, for yeah. that. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, then <laughs> I won't worry about that. Well, you know, the, the, the trick is find someone to, like, as you've been talking about, who can record the hurdy gurdy well or even knows how to do the nickel harper well. Because here, where I live in the middle of nowhere, you know, we can record banjos and we can record mandolins and these sorts when? of things. <laughs> yeah, it, it's something, but, you know, I'm always kind of uh, curious about how that's done well so that you actually capture the sound of what the instrument is is meant to do what it's meant to sound like so this is this is useful stuff thank you Mm -hmm. and i mean it's always difficult for you know a sound engineer who has never heard a hurdy-gurdy or knows what it's supposed to sound like it's going to be really difficult and especially with the hurdy-gurdy you have so many levels of quality Mm -hmm. um you know you're you're gonna have a really great time uh, miking a Hillsman or or a Weisselbaum or, or whatever, like you you really have to do so many things wrong to make that <laughs> sound yes. sound bad. So you know sometimes it's not even the sound engineer's fault. It's the the instrument, the the but maybe even the person playing the. the <laughs> Uh, no, that can't be it. Nah, <laughs> so many there's so many factors and, and you just have to do your research. If if somebody comes into my studio with an instrument that I've never miked before, I'm gonna do some research, see what it's supposed to sound like. Mm. Yeah. Of course. Yes, and, and, and your your tracking engineer has to make a lot of decisions. Uh, like, uh, depending on the context of your song, uh, are you going to to uh, record like chanters separate, like drones separate, trumpets separate? Are you going to to uh, record everything together? You lose control, but you gain uh, like more harmonics. I don't know. A lot of decisions uh, need to be done with the hardy gurdy. Right. So and, and and of course adjustment 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 you you want to give him like the best sound you can you can get right well is it hard when you're when you record you know now we're going down a rabbit hole but is is it is it hard to record instruments say for example like like the hurdy gurdy with say a violin or a nickel harp but because their tonal range can uh, is so close together does that make it any more difficult or is that just you know not a really big issue do you mean when when they're playing at the the same time or just you mean in the same arrangement yeah like if if say the track that or yeah the track that's being recorded if um you know say the the nickel harpa has one kind of counter melody part to the hurdy-gurdy but you know they're pretty much playing in the same range uh, the tonal range of notes does that make it any more difficult or is it is it really not an issue for, for me, that goes into mixing. Okay. Mm-hmm. As soon, I you know as as soon as it's about recording, you know I don't make it more complicated than it is because you can just listen 
and you know the place where your ear says this is a great spot you just put the microphone there and then you mm-hmm. see what happens um, and you know to get a nuclear and a hurdy-gurdy to complement each other and not cancel each other out is for me is a mixing thing and you know with compression and EQs just paint a picture and, mm-hmm. and you know every instrument has its spot in the frequency range and right okay well good well i didn't mean to derail you there sergio you were on a roll with with uh your 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 questions for 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 anna but i i think this is an interesting topic to cover (laughs) (laughs) well no 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 i want um you you had a follow-up to that and i think i know what the question is you know uh, it you know it we always do that yes yes (laughs) you you, you go for it and all the same names keep popping and uh, actually we uh, interviewed many of them and so so we are doing good job (laughs) (laughs) and the question anna is who are like your your favorite uh, players, Hardy Gardy players, or the the musicians that uh, influenced you the the most? Hardy Gardy or not Hardy Gardy? I don't know. You can also tell us uh, different uh, musicians. We don't know. <laughs> okay, let's stick to the Hardy Gardy. Okay. Um, definitely, um, Efren Lopez. Efren. Of course. Do we? T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I I have the T-shirt so. <laughs> Um, and and with him it's just it's the whole package you know it's not just um, his tone Uh, and here I've always been with the hurdy-gurdy I'm a tone person because you can sing with that instrument Uh, you can with a good instrument you can make vibratos you can play it so that it's really in tune Um, and that for me is the most important aspect and here, I think Efren Lopez and Matthias Leubner um, are two of my favorites because they they make the instrument sing, and it's so beautiful. Um, and this, aside from you know the whole technical um, aspect of playing really fast and really and really well. Um, so yeah, definitely those two. Apart from being you know great composers as well, which kind of makes the whole package complete for me um on the more experimental side i also really like uh what's the crazy guillem des oh yeah uh, don't know how to pronounce the name um gregory jolivet mm. um yeah i mean there there's a lot um yeah but yeah i think oh. those are like the main you specifically mentioned hurdy gurdy players. So now I'm kind of curious, like who who are maybe one or two of the musicians that really inspire you that are non hurdy gurdy players, people that you draw inspiration from. It's also very interesting, yes. I actually I forgot the 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 guys from Hurdy Gurdy the band. I don't ah. know their names, but that's another thing. Like to being creative with the instrument is well that inspired me a lot as well. I'm really sorry, I don't know the names. Um, I think Sergio's looking for it. <laughs> go ahead. As far as other musicians go, it's that's that's a really difficult one. Um, be, I'm also a singer, so I think one of my great inspirations as far as singing goes has been uh, Jeff Buckley. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, because of the emotion that he, he puts into it, and it's yeah. not about 
portraying skills. It's about portraying a story. And, and here, I think he's just, wow, mm-hmm. incredible. Um, and as far as like compositions go, I'm, I'm always really in awe of King Crimson. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. For, for me, that is a, a perfect band. And I saw them live, I think, about what, like two years ago. And I, w- I was crying, like the entire. I was just standing there and I was crying, and I couldn't believe m- I couldn't believe my eyes and my ears how amazing these musicians are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> that's a definitely. I was not expecting you to pick either of those two, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's wonderful. What about what about the band Rush? Do you like Rush? Oh, I do love Rush. Okay. Ryan is a mega fan for Rush. (laughs) Yeah, I love Rush. And one of the biggest compliments I have ever received um, during my time, you know, being a a musician on stage was actually this guy. And he was at a show, I think it was somewhere in in Eastern Europe. Uh, He came on our headline tour and he was like in his... And he he said to me, like, the last time he saw something that moved him so much was Rush and that we reminded him. And I I couldn't even accept that compliment. (laughs) I couldn't, you know. Yeah. 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 Well, that's I, I can I can I can understand that. That's why I asked if you liked Rush because I wondered if there was some some influence there. Um, well, that leads me to to my last question. Um, and uh, that's with your work with, with Seller Darling. Um, I'm just kind of curious, you know, kind of moving from Elvite to, to this project. Um, is there anything about your work with Seller Darling in particular that just that you appreciate, whether it's the people you're working with or uh, the kind of music you're playing? Is there anything different from what you had done in the past to what you're doing now with Seller Darling? Um a difficult question I have I mean obviously I feel that Seller Darling is a bit more of me Mm. Um, you know in Elvetia I was part of a group of like eight people um, and I really enjoyed it and honestly I also enjoyed being on the sidelines It, it definitely made me feel more comfortable than being in the front I I still don't consider myself a front woman and at some point I'm gonna start doing the tool thing where I'm in the back and there's no um, but you know you you also have to have courage to do these type of things um, and that that's kind of where it gets difficult because I'm always amazed by how many followers we have how many people listen to our songs because you know they they just come from some random ma- mashup in my brain like i don't I, I and i don't i don't really have any goals with what i just have to write and i will always write and i don't care if two people listen to it or if a hundred thousand do um, and so i'm amazed by if people sing my lyrics in the audience it's mind-blowing wow. And at the same time, it's also terrifying. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, 
and and I think I'm never gonna quite get um, this balance or or you know where it starts to make sense. It's. It seems like you have a very dramatic relationship with with music and performing. Like it's like you like it, but it also stresses you out. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, with you know, with recording albums and and being a, a composer, the playing live is kind of like a, a natural consequence of that. Right. Um, and and it's also something that I feel that you kind of owe people that that support you and i just hope that i do a good enough job in the end because i don't I, want to disappoint people i think you're doing all right yes <laughs> but, but that, that reminds me you know that this feeling that you have you know one of the one of the, the things that really inspired me to want to play hurdy gurdy was again i've talked about this many times a video that i watched of a friend when he's up on the mountain and he's got you know the drum and he's got the the, the pipes with him and the winds blown through his hair and i thought to myself i want to feel like that when i play music you know that sense of just freedom so do you experience that then when you're playing I think I do, but but my brain forgets those ah. moments Ooh. because for some reason, like I think I sometimes am my own worst enemy, <laughs> and sometimes only the memories of the panic and the being scared and not feeling good enough that kind of sticks with me. Right. And my brain, because it's really evil, it makes me forget all of the. A friend hair blown situations, <laughs> which I do absolutely have. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. But yeah, I mean it's it's one of my goals is to just, you know, get up on that stage and just feel really, really good. Yeah. Um, mm. and I think, you know, at some point with enough enough meditation, mm. enough, you know, uh, growing old. Mm. I, I love becoming older because it just gives you a certain sense of calmness and you know and also not making things more important than they are mm -hmm. um, so i think age and meditation and wine these things are going to help have you ever better at what you do have you ever had your astrology chart done i'm not i'm not into <laughs> okay. Ryan, your, your book, your book is not okay. Yeah, no, no. no I, the way she's talking, the way she's talking, it describes someone who has Saturn in a particular placement in her chart. Which, as they get older, they tend to get more comfortable and more confident. And anyways, that's why I was curious yeah. about that. But, but anyway, um. <laughs> I think actually, like what, what you have as a what inspired you to play hurdy gurdy that that is actually you know that's how i want to feel someday too yeah yeah Absolutely. well yes that's that's what efren is good for is giving us that inspiration mm -hmm. yeah um well sergio do you have any final questions before we we move on to our final track i think we can go listen to some seller darling Okay, excellent. And um, so we're going to listen to this track, uh, which is an 11-minute track called Dance, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, you know, you sent, a, you sent a couple tracks, and this is the one that I, I just fell in love with. Um, is there anything you'd like to say about it? I mean, this is a... If there's an epic track, this is an epic track. Uh, is there anything you'd like to, to mention about it? Where did it come from? It came from the depths of my 
brain. Um, I, I actually started writing it in 2018. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be part of our concept album, The Spell, which we oh. released um, back then. And it just didn't make the cut. But we also didn't want to let the song go. So mm-hmm. I completely rewrote it um, and then uh, arranged it with the band. And it just kind of became really long. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I don't even, I, I have a hard time talking about songs because they just kind of, you know, you just puke them out somehow. And there's a lot of meaning and a lot of stories, but to put it into words is kind of impossible, which is why I make a song. <laughs> right. That's it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> really. Um, yeah, maybe for like the hurdy gurdy players, um, it we recorded the hurdy gurdy through an actual guitar um, setup uh, through a, a Bockner uh, amp. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. And so that's why it sounds like a guitar <laughs> until you start doing that, you know, yeah. I think there was even, there was some reaction video that my parents told me, but they thought it was so funny because there's, there, that's a thing now, reaction videos. It's just mm-hmm. people watching things and then they comment on it. And, yeah. and there was this person and she was saying, what is this guitar? <laughs> it doesn't... It it sounds it doesn't look like a guitar and it doesn't sound like a guitar. So what Ooh. kind of guitar is it? <laughs> Where do you blow into that guitar? Yeah, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> well, you, you just you just gave me an idea. Maybe for for the next season we'll have you back, and the season will just be us doing a reaction video to this podcast that we're doing right now. <laughs> Inception. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, thank you so much for, for being here today, uh, Anna. It was really wonderful to meet yeah. you and speak with you. Yeah, it was thanks a pleasure. for having me. It was me. fantastic, yes. Yeah. And all, as always, good to see you again, Sergio, and we'll, we'll see you soon. So this is um, a track by Seller Darling called Dance.
gonna feel 